It's uh, going. It's going back. Anyway, I was not so interested in being on display tonight. And when it's when there are this few people in the room, I wish we could. It's too loud. I wish we could uh, sit in a circle, but no such luck. But anyone who wants to come forward and get a little cozier. You know, I had a few ideas this evening that were brewing and then the sitting happened. <laughs> so I got some other ideas. And since it's Thanksgiving week, I naturally reflect on what I'm grateful for, what I'm thankful for. And hopefully you do as well. And And the, I guess I'd like to title this as, I'm thankful for nothing. <laughs> I'll try to elaborate. <laughs> you know, there's a, a, an editorial that I have shared countless times here and perhaps every, I think everywhere I've led classes and retreats. And it is a, an editorial by a recently deceased young woman uh, named Amy Krauss Rosenthal, who wrote a wonderful little book about uh, work, about being a mom and, and just dealing with stress, etc. And this particular editorial, she entitled sweet nothing and she says it starts with how have you, how are you or how have you been and the answer is busy how is your week good busy how's everything busy you name the question busy is the answer she says i know we're all terribly busy doing terribly important things but more often than not busy is simply the most natural or the most obvious knee-jerk response and then she continues, you know, waxing about busy. But she says, have people always been this busy? Did cavemen think they were busy too? It's crazy. I've got ten caves to draw on. Can I meet you by the fire next week? And then she started reflecting on childhood. She says, as kids, our stock answer to every question What'd you learn at school today? What's new? Nothing. She says she's starting to think that, like youth, the word nothing is being wasted on the young. And the grown-ups need to reintroduce it into their vernacular. And she goes on to say, you know, I say it a few times, nothing. Nothing. And I start to feel a little bit more peaceful, a little... Oh, meanwhile, she says that her, her theory is that this busyness is, is, is caused by the advent of coffee bars and, lush, and coffee's lush, luscious byproduct, productivity, the joy of doing, accomplishing, crossing off. 
So then she reflects on the kids and say nothing. And she says, as soon as I say it, I feel a little quieter, a little bit um, more decaffeinated, a little more meditative. She says, how did we, how did we get so far away from it? And yet this, this nothing is, this emptiness is so close, so close, it is a split second away. And whenever I can remember nothing, just open, empty, I feel more peaceful, more decaffeinated, less busy. And I'm so thankful for having discovered that. And, and, I, I, and it's, not just the, it's not just the mind that is momentarily free of its, of its preoccupations. As one of my favorite teachers, Nisargadot, says that when your mind is free of its, or empty of its preoccupations, it becomes quiet. I don't think it becomes quiet. I think it shows its innate quietness. I'm really thankful for that. It says, but if you, if you really stay with that quiet, and you don't disturb it for a little while, you'll see that it's permeated with light and love. And that's, that's really the, the, the crux of it, is the, all the, the juicy qualities, the heart qualities that flow from, from us when we are empty. Empty of my own drama, full of everything else. Full of life, full of, full of, a con, full of the connectability, the connection connecting heart. In the Tibetan tradition, I don't know how many of you have been, had Tibetan teachings, but, but the, the nature of our heart, mind, is described as having what are called three kayas, three elements to it, and they're indivisible. The essence of mind is empty, groundless. But its nature, which this is what makes it different than the sky, <laughs> the sky is empty. But it's sky-like in its essence. Your mind, my mind, I'm really thankful for this. Its essence is empty. Say it a few times and I feel de more decaffeinated, <laughs> meditative. Essence is empty. Its nature is clarity, which is another way of saying cognizance, awareness. Everything is known. When I'm not in touch with that mind essence, when I'm not in touch with this natural state of emptiness, this openness, not so clear, not so attuned to my heart, to my 
to the world, to you, to my family, to my connection with the earth. Everything becomes occluded when, my, when I'm in touch with that empty essence. I feel that sense of clarity, that, that, no, that sense that there's no inside, there's no outside, there is just everything being known, and I don't exist apart from any of it. I don't exist apart from any, anything. And I'm thankful for that. Last, so I've got the first, you've got, I've given you the first two. Essence, empty. Nature, clarity. The third part, the, it's called um, unconfined capacity. It is the, it's all the qualities, you could say, the responsiveness of the heart and mind that is available to us when we are when we're really present. And to me, Thanksgiving, the, one of the things I'm most thankful for is that, is that when I'm attuned, when I'm open, when I'm clear, I'm not, just, I'm not just aware of all the things I'm thankful for in my personal life. I'm also aware that Thanksgiving is a painful holiday for many people who may not have the who may not have so many near and dear ones to eat with. And so the nature of the heart, that, that unconfined capacity, that responsiveness of heart joins with those who, who aren't having such an easy time during this time of year. And that same unconfined capacity joins with those who are having a thankful time or a joyous time, I'm able, one is able to join with them in what the Buddha called mudita, sympathetic joy. Join in the good fortune that someone may be experiencing. And as with that, with the heart open, clarity, empty, clear, open, seeing the, the joys and the sorrows of this world, both. One has that, that unconfined capacity to, to experience and grow in the quality of equipoise, equanimity, steadiness, understanding that things are as they are, and that we, we're not either... <laughs> Get, we don't either get lost in the, oblivi- in, the, in the obliviousness of pleasure, nor do we get lost in the despair of pain. But we, are, we can, with that kind of great heart, we can sit in the middle of it all, feel balanced. So it's not just that we're, it's not a just that we're empty, we're empty like the sky, but so much juicier, so much, so rich, each person. 
And yet this nothing is not exactly where we look for our nourishment, for our refuge. You know, I borrow, as you know, I borrow, most of you who've been here, I borrow from other traditions and teachers, and one of my favorite is a ecstatic master named uh, Sri Ramakrishna. And Sri Ramakrishna was uh, known to, to be really immersed in this kind of empty essence, nature clarity, unconfined capacity, all the, the qualities of the heart would just flow from him. And he would just sit around with people during the, out in the, sit in the garden, and he would just kind of absorb into himself for a little bit, just immerse in that nature of the mind, nature of the heart, which is what all the wisdom traditions point to. And then he would open his eyes and he'd look around and say, Oh, and he'd let out songs. He'd say, Oh, longing mind, dwell within the depths of your own pure nature. Empty nature. Do not seek your home elsewhere. Do not confine your innate infinity within the mansions of finitude, or name and form, thoughts and images. And then he would say, your naked awareness, which is another way of saying empty, clarity, your naked awareness, oh, wait, your naked awareness alone, oh, mind, is the inexhaustible abundance for which you long so desperately. O uh, longing mind, dwell within the depths of your own true nature, pure nature, empty nature. Do not, sing your, do not seek your home elsewhere. Do not confine your innate infinity within the mansions of finitude, which really means within the mansions of all your ideas about them. Your naked awareness alone, O oh mind, is the inexhaustible abundance for which you long so desperately. Okay. And Kabir says, Oh, how I laugh when I hear that the fish in the water is thirsty. You don't understand that what's most alive lives inside your own house. And so you wander from one holy city to the next with a confused look, always going out in search. And that, that the essence of the heart-mind is, is just waiting. Just waiting. And Thich Nhat Hanh, who I often quote, he says, you, it's the same kind of reminder of the richness of your own essence. Your own, your own nature. He says, you who are the richest person on earth, who've been going around begging for a living, stop being the destitute child. Come home, reclaim your heritage. Now this kind of richness is not the way we usually think of ourselves. We're usually thinking of ourselves according to our personality view. 
the view of this, the, the situation of our life, our resources, our body, our mood, our thoughts. And it's usually a, it's usually a narrative, a view of ourselves that is, I think at its heart, is a view of lack, of there's something being wrong. Some, as I like to put it, some problem that needs to be solved. And of course, as long as we believe we need something or a problem to be solved, then, then without that, we can't be happy. Here's uh, from, while we're still on this topic, from the teacher Nisargadot again. As long as we need, we think we, as long as we believe that we need things or to become someone or solve a problem to make us happy, we should also believe in their absence we must be miserable. Mind shapes itself according to its beliefs. In this way, pleasure, the seeking for pleasure, which is often the, the means that we use to try to fill our lack. And again, the lack is imagined. You are the richest person on earth. But mind shapes itself according to its belief. This way, pleasure-seeking is a distraction, for it merely increases the false conviction that one needs to have and do things to be happy, when in reality, it's just the opposite. Real happiness is best expressed negatively as there is nothing wrong with me. I have nothing to worry about. After all, the purpose of meditation, sadhana, is to reach a point where this conviction, instead of being only verbal, is based on actual, ever-present experience. Which experience? The experience of being empty, which to me is the same as being aware. When you are aware, you are empty. It is like the happiness of open spaces, of being young, of having all the time and energy for doing things, for discovery, for adventure. Your true home is in nothingness, in emptiness of all content. True happiness has no cause. And what has no cause is immovable. This is why Rumi, the poet Rumi says, why, why do you stay in prison when the door is so wide open? Come out of the tangle of Fear, me thinking, live in silence. And to me, live in silence is the same as be aware, be aware, 
be aware. Live in silence and flow down and down and down in ever-widening rings of being. Open like the sky, clear and responsive, caring. Everything is available to us. All the qualities and the intelligence and the discernment, the skillfulness that we need, it is all embedded within the nature, the natural state of your own mind. Do not seek your home elsewhere. So what can I be more thankful for? But, of course, in order to be thankful for nothing, you have to know it, trust it, get used to it. At that same passage from Nisargadot where he says, when the mind is kept away from its preoccupations, it becomes quiet. If you don't disturb that quiet, you stay in it. You discover that it's permeated with a light and a love you've never known yet. You recognize it at once as your own nature. I read that. I shared that already. He says, after that, he says, once you taste this, you'll never be the same person again. But then he, dis- he speaks to our conditioning. He says the unruly mind, those misperceptions, the unruly mind will break that peace and obliterate that vision. But it's bound to return if the effort is sustained. Until all bonds are broken, grasping at these ideas and obsession with what's next ends and life becomes supremely concentrated in the in real time, in the present. That's why we stop. That's why we practice. That's why we support each other to practice. So that we reclaim our riches. We come home. We reclaim our heritage. It's not much, but it's everything. It's not much. It's nothing that you can put, you can wrap up in a in a box, but it's, it's your own natural state. So I say, thanks for nothing. <laughs> Let's see if there are any more. Maybe how I laugh. Yeah, I often talk about, um, think about the the Buddha's very strong emphasis on on choosing the the sense of well-being or freedom or happiness that doesn't depend on on conditions. Unconditional well-being, freedom, and, and that if a person if a person gives rise to this longing for freedom, for relief, that, and they choose this path of unconditional happiness, then all the other kinds of pleasure in this world will, will follow. You get, still get all kinds of pleasure, but you won't be caught up in 
you won't be caught up in what the Buddha called misplaced faith. You won't be devoted to to the kinds of pleasures that only give you a, a, a little pleasure. <laughs> that you'll be that you'll be um, unconditionally satisfied because you've come come back to yourself like Derek Walcott, the poem says, come back to yourself to the stranger who has loved you all your life, whom you've ignored for another, who knows you by heart. Let's take the love letters from the bookshelves, the, the photographs, the desperate notes, peel your own image from the mirror, all these ideas. Sit and feast on your life. It's as if the Buddha said, if you aim for this, you get all kinds of other pleasures too, but you're not going to get, you won't just get caught in that wheel of, of dissatisfaction. Find yourself. So of course we start with, we, we start with whatever it is that, that puts us in touch with our hearts. We start with whatever we're grateful for. We start with whatever we're thankful for. We start with whatever we're suffering with, which is often in practicing gratitude, we, it's actually a purification practice for, for, our, for our feeling of lack and our envy and our jealousy and our comparing mind. We move, we use these practices to pull us back into the heart so that we can we come from our heart i don't the language of heart and mind is i don't know how to use that language very well but but we start with wherever we are and just the more we're in the vicinity in the in the neighborhood of sincerity of goodwill caring, of, of having our senses open, then we, we're more likely to start to appreciate what it is in us that allows us to, to feel and to see and to hear and to smell. And what is that? And then I'm able to see what keeps me from being in a state of gratitude most of the time. As I'm caught up in some imagined sense of lack. So, if there is lack here and now, where is it? The only lack we experience in real time is a lack of suffering. Real time suffering ceases at least the mental suffering. It stops when we wake up to this decaffeinated state of nothing. But it doesn't, it, it's not as convincing as our story of lack. A simple moment of mindful attention, being together. For some reason it's not, always our mind comes in with with but. 
And when our mind comes in with the word but, we're back in the past. We're back in our imagination. So try, try a few moments of being here without, without but. No buts. See how you feel. And notice what you do experience with this is the essence of your mind empty is your nature clear aren't you isn't there a vivid clarity immediately after the last thought has stopped and before the next one comes isn't there just just so this is this is awareness a lot of nothing but as Kala Rinpoche says, you live in illusion and the appearance of things. That's all our story. It says that there is a reality and you are that reality. And if you understood this, or as you, if you understand this, you'll realize that you're nothing. But being nothing, you're everything. That's all. Or much more poetically said by Nisargadat Maharaj, love or wisdom tells me I'm nothing, but love tells me I'm everything. Between these two, my life flows. So that's, I'm very thankful for, for that. Um, and so I, I think I'll read, I'll read Derek Walcott. I started his poem. But maybe I'll drop in another one from Walt, from uh, Thoreau, I'm grateful for what I am and what I have. My thanksgiving is perpetual. It's surprising how contented one can be with nothing definite, just a sense of existence. Oh, how I laugh at my vague, indefinite riches. For no run on my bank can drain it. For my wealth is not possession, but enjoyment of being. So just Derek Walcott, then we can either chit-chat or, or call it a night. Love after love. The time will come when with elation you'll greet yourself arriving at your own door, in your own mirror, and each will smile at the other's welcome. And say, sit here, eat. You will love again the stranger who was yourself. Give wine, give bread, give back your heart to itself, to the stranger who has loved you all your life, whom you ignored for another, who knows you by heart. Take down the love letters from the bookshelf, the photographs, the desperate notes. Peel your own image from the mirror. Sit, feast on your life. It's better than turkey. Ha, 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 ha.
<laughs> we lost our we had our handheld mics stolen somehow here our um, wandering mics but I, and had we not I, I would have loved to have heard what your own stories of gratitude. And I've, I've done this pre-Thanksgiving discourse every year for now 30, <laughs> over 30 years. And I just couldn't go through the list, even though I am incredibly grateful for you, for this group, for, for all, the, all the, the love in my life, all the good fortune for my sense, everything. But uh, I just thought tonight, let's get right to the get right to the heart of the matter. And I think first things first is wake up, wake up to the riches that we already have, so so that our thanks is our thanks is um, is has that feeling that that we've. We've really found what we're looking for. That we're not just still walking around like hungry ghosts with these little mouths and huge stomachs. Let's, let's find that which can't be taken away. As my teacher, Punja G, said, marry the one who won't divorce you. <laughs> anyway. Thanks for listening, and thank you for your practice. Thanks for your generosity. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, yes, please uh, help, if you can, to put the chairs back along the side walls. Much appreciation. Anyway, thank you, thank you. Have a wonderful, wonderful Thanksgiving meal if you have one. And don't forget the don't forget to put the turkeys in your heart. Thanks for the thanks for nothing. That was a great time. Thank, thank you. you. Uh, I am curious about something you said. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.